so strap yourselves in. <laughs> Mark chapter 9. You thought you might have had a respite from, from James, but uh, yeah, this is challenging. Um, so let, let me just remind us of the context. Carl gave a little bit of that. Mark in this book, he's, he's out to show from the beginning that Jesus is the Messiah. And so in the first half of the book, the first kind of eight chapters, he shows Jesus launching into his ministry, doing miracles, teaching, touching people's lives in amazing ways. And then it kind of climaxes with that bit we heard at the very beginning where he asks that question to the disciples as they've seen all that he's been doing, who do you think I am? And Peter replies with this revelation from God, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And then the book shifts and we begin to see Jesus entering into what it means for him to be the Messiah. The fact that he's going to be handed over, he's going to suffer, he's going to be taken to the cross, and then he's going to rise again. And in Mark chapter 10, he, sets, he enters Jerusalem. And the events unfold, as we know, that they unfold. And then here in chapter 9, it's this, this transitional time when Jesus is with the disciples and they're walking towards Jerusalem and he's kind of preparing them and he's, he's explaining to them what is going to happen. And I think his particular focus is, is on their hearts. This passage is all about them being invited to, to take a look within. And so I think that's what it, it is for us as well. It's an invitation to, to look within. So just before we pick up with, this, with verse 38, uh, let's just to backtrack a tiny little bit. We find Jesus with the disciples in a house in Capernaum. And he's just been talking to them about this argument they've been having on the road, the argument about who is the greatest. Do you remember that? And he's, he's explaining to them that it, it's not about being the greatest. It's about servanthood. And then, to illustrate that, he takes a small child. And you kind of get the feeling that there was probably lots of small children running around in, in the house that they were in at that time. And he takes one of them, and he, he stands the child in front of them, and then he takes that child in his arms and he says that anyone who welcomes a child like this, one of these little ones, welcomes me. And in that moment, he's identifying himself with the, the least, the very least in, in that room. Children were disregarded, children were the least, and he's, he's identifying himself with the least important person in that place. And then our passage starts. And I think it's likely that Jesus still has this child in his arms as he's, as he's teaching. And John interjects, wanting to tell Jesus how they stopped someone uh, who was casting out demons in Jesus' name because this person wasn't one of, one of them. He wasn't part of the, the in-group. And I think he thinks he's done something good. I think he thinks Jesus is going to say, great, 
But of course he doesn't. Jesus says, no, don't stop him. If he's not against us, then he's for us. If anyone's not against us, they're for us. And perhaps here we kind of can feel him turning towards what he knows is to come when the tide of opinion is going to turn against him. And he says, I tell you truly, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the the Messiah, to me, will most certainly not lose their reward. And then he continues teaching. And he says, if, if anyone causes one of these little ones, picture the child still in his arms, who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Stern words, words that are hard to hear, I think. Um, Words that I think perhaps show us three things. This is what struck me. Firstly, I think just this profound awareness that Jesus has of the infinite preciousness of one of these little ones. His his profound awareness of their preciousness, their beauty, their innocence perhaps, the value that they have. And then secondly, I think it's an incredible insight into the pain Jesus has when these little ones are caused to suffer. How deeply he feels that when little ones suffer or are caused to suffer. I'm 57. I said that in yo-yos the other day and Phoebe went, wow! (laughs) I feel like that myself sometimes. Um, I'm 57. If I was once a little one, a long time ago now, and you were too, We all were once these little ones. And I think in some measure perhaps we still are. (laughs) And perhaps it's helpful for us to see in this the compassion that Jesus has for these little ones. Perhaps for some of the suffering that we experienced when we were little and maybe still do. And then thirdly, I think this is Jesus saying there is a suffering that's ours when we cause others to stumble, to sin, some versions say. Especially children, when we cause them to stumble. It's bad. It's so bad, he says, it would be better for us to die. There's a weight to that. And it's a sobering thought, and I don't really know much more to say about it than that. There's a weight to it. So then Jesus turns his attention back to the disciples, and the imagery doesn't get any easier. I I feel like it should have one of those um, content warnings that you see on programs now. As we come into these words, if your hand causes you to stumble, 
cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Deep breath. I think it's good to remember here that the one who's saying these words is the one who takes away our sin, the one who takes away the sin of the world. And I think it's good for us to remember here too that the, the ones that Jesus is speaking to are, are his disciples. They're the ones that he knows are his. So I don't think this is about eternal salvation, about heaven or hell, about our final destination. I don't think this is about the things that we have to do to avoid hell. I don't think this is about our right behaviour saving us from that. I think, because we know, don't we? <laughs> we know that no, no amount of, of right behaviour saves us. The only one thing that saves us is the death of Jesus on the cross. His, his forgiveness of our sins, that's what saves us. We're saved by grace, by what Jesus did for us, not by anything we do or don't do. So it seems to me that this is about our life now. This is about the kinds of sufferings that we experience in our lives now. And this is, this is Jesus telling us what's better for us. So if you noticed in that passage four times, Jesus says, it would be better for you if. So he, he's talking about these two, two kinds of sufferings that there are, and one is better than the other. One leads to a living hell. <laughs> That's what Jesus says, isn't it? And one leads to life. So this is Jesus drawing the disciples' attention to, again, to their hearts, to what's going on inside of them, to the things that cause them to stumble and cause them suffering. And it is a deeply confrontational picture of the gravity of sin, its power of destruction in our lives, and, and the, its power to cause suffering. I think, as, as someone said, um, with Jesus, we're never punished for our sins. God doesn't punish us for our sins, ever. But we are punished by our sins. <laughs> it's, our sins cause us suffering. So, so, and it's so bad that Jesus said it would be better for us to enter life without hands and feet and eyes than to endure the suffering that sin causes. You know, there's a, there's a, an amazing true life story that came to my mind while I was preparing this. And it really drives the point home, I think. Um, 18 years ago, Aaron Lee 
Ralston, was walking on his own in the wilderness of Blue John Canyon in Colorado in the States. And he managed to dislodge a boulder that trapped his right forearm and held him there. He couldn't move. Um, some of you might remember the story. And after five days, he'd completely run out of the food that he had with him and the water that he had. And essentially he knew he was going to die. Um, and one of the amazing moments in this story, um, I forgot to mention at St. Mark's, but it, it really impacted me. He, he finds, on, this fifth, on his fifth night, he finds a peace within himself that he, he knows he's going to die there. And in his hallucination, because of lack of food and lack of water and the really cold temperatures there, he has this kind of vision where he sees this small child and he sees himself playing with this boy and he sees himself without his right hand. And as he's playing with this child, with this boy, he picks the boy up and he sees in the boy's eyes this, this look that says, Daddy, can we play now? And he realizes it's, it's him in the future. And in that moment, he, he, he suddenly realizes that the only way for him to, to escape from this boulder is to cut his arm off. And he, he suddenly figures out a way to do it. And that is what he does. He manages with his penknife to, to cut through his arm. It's pretty gruesome. There is actually a, a six-minute YouTube video where he talks about it. I couldn't quite bring myself to watch it to the end. Um, but I did find an article uh, about his experience. Um, so it, it is kind of helpful to know his, the blood supply at this point has been completely cut off from his arm, so he can't feel anything as he does this. Um, but in the interview... He's got an extraordinary story and he's an amazing, he's a changed man because of it. And he says this, my experience was to go through this and realize, well, God is love. And love is what kept me alive. And love is what got me out of there. And he says he still goes back to this place. And he touches the boulder he says, remembering when I thought about what's important in life, relationships, and this quest to want to get out of there and to return to love and relationships, to return to freedom instead of entrapment. I loved that phrase. And this is what this is about. It's about freedom and not entrapment. This isn't God as scary judge threatening us with punishment. This is Jesus showing us the way to life. And there are some things in our lives that it really is better for us to be without, even though it cost us greatly. Sometimes I think some of these things are as, as dear to us as our own hands and feet and eyes. That's why that imagery is so powerful. We're deeply attached to the things. But perhaps we don't necessarily realise it. I wonder 
for the disciples if they thought there was anything wrong with arguing about who was the greatest. Perhaps that is what their hearts were set on without seeing there to be any other way. And the, the imagery, as graphic as it is, it, it is fascinating. Jesus obviously knows there's nothing wrong with a hand and a foot and an eye. But if, if our attachment to it and what it symbolizes causes us to stumble, then it's harming us. It's causing worse suffering than if we were, than what it would cost us to cut those things off. Because it stops us being who we're really meant to be. It stops us walking in the glory and the beauty of who we, we're meant to be. And again, thinking about the context where Jesus has been with the disciples, looking at what's going on in their lives, what they're arguing about, what they're talking about. I'm not so sure that, that the things we're called to give up are necessarily things. I mean, they could be, but I wonder if it's more these deep-seated ways within us of viewing life, of viewing God of viewing ourselves, the way we think about ourselves, the way we feel about ourselves, the, the things that feel as much a part of ourselves as our hands and our feet and our eyes. Things that are about how we walk with people, how we see, and how we, how we interact in the world. And we cause ourselves to stumble because of them. It's the things that Jesus was encountering in the disciples. Things like, what makes me feel that I have to be greater than others? What makes me want to exclude others? We perhaps could amplify. Those are the two things with the disciples. We could amplify it. The way I constantly compare myself to others. Tick. <laughs> My inability to accept myself warts and all tick my need to always be right my addiction to perfectionism my feeling of being lesser my need to be better these inner ways that we have of of viewing life the deep bitterness perhaps I feel over someone who's wronged me my inability to stop brooding over hurts, my need to be in control. This is Jesus helping us to see what's better for us, telling us that the pain of letting certain things go is better than the suffering that's caused if we hang on to them. confess I, I I didn't really want to preach on this passage I had a choice between James and Mark and um, I just kept feeling I should preach on Mark but I kept thinking that well, James would be so much easier <laughs> but I felt I should preach on Mark and as I was in the service last Sunday uh, at the end Rick talked about his sense that we're in a season God has us in a season where he's 
cutting things away. I don't know if you remember that. And I, it was the confirmation I needed to, to go, yeah, I, I need to speak out of Mark. And so as we finish, I, I wonder what this passage has for us apart from its shock value. And I think it is this. It is this invitation, isn't it? It's Jesus with a child in his arms talking to the disciples about their inner motivations, about their inner lives, helping them to see, helping them look within, helping them understand what's better for them. Yes, there's a suffering from being attached to certain things that is worse than the pain of letting it go. And when we see that, when we see that, it's an extraordinary thing. It's a powerful moment. I was thinking about how Jesus uh, calls himself the light of the world, doesn't he? He declares himself to be the light of the world. And I was thinking about how we don't, we don't particularly see light. I mean, I know you can look at a light and see a light, but by and large... It, light helps us see. We don't see light. It's light that helps us see. We see by the light that Jesus gives us. And, and here, this is Jesus creating light, shining light into the lives of the disciples to help them see, to create awareness. And awareness is hugely powerful because when we, when we have awareness, we have choice. We, we have options. I feel like um, I'm in a season myself of just feeling profoundly challenged over my attachment to certain things that have been in my life a certain way for a long time, certain things in ministry, certain relationships that have suddenly changed and I don't like it. <laughs> And I feel this attachment to want things to be back how they were. And I feel my resentment and I feel my anger. And that stops me being open to the new thing that's there. There's a suffering that I'm in because of my, my attachment. And there's an invitation that Jesus has given me to let go. Things that are painful to let go of in order to find life, to know what's better for me, to trust myself to him for the, the good that he has for me. And so, maybe the best thing we can do is, is pray, and then Carl, this will come, I know, and lead us, but um, let's close our eyes a moment. And see Jesus. With a little one in his arms. And perhaps that little one is you. And you're safe in Jesus' arms. And he's with you. Looking. 
looking within at some of those inner motivations of your heart, some of those attachments, some of those deep ways of seeing yourself, others. And he wants to bring light and an end to suffering and courage to let go. So Jesus, we thank you that you know what's better for us always. And we trust ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.